0: We continue today with our Lenten series, The Mark of Christ, as we continue through the Gospel of Mark. And hopefully you've been keeping up as we've been going along. We should have gotten through the seventh chapter by today, because you have homework for this week, which is eight and nine. It's a great gospel. It's a short gospel. It's an intimate gospel, but it's an important one. And, And I hope that you've read it or will read it. I hope that you'll take it to heart, because it's filled with so many miracles and teachings and intimate perspectives of who Jesus Christ is and what he was trying to teach his disciples and thereby teach us. And today we do indeed. We go to the seventh chapter. We go to a place where Jesus is talking with the the Pharisees, with the people, talking about traditions and commandments. And he finally comes to this part Chapter 7, starting with the 14th verse, as Mark writes these words, if you would follow along in your Bibles. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. a person. God's blessing upon the reading of his word this day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. My hope is is that this will be a rather short and sweet sermon. I'm sure many of you will appreciate that. Don't start marching toward the doors yet. Because I think within the context of this verse and these these chapters is a very important lesson, a very important question that we have to ask and answer for ourselves. Not long ago, there was a young beauty contestant being interviewed on television about her religious beliefs and how important those beliefs were to her life. And she answered the moderator by saying, Oh yes, I believe in God, but I'm not nuts about him. I believe in God, but I'm not nuts about him. I wonder if that doesn't define an awful lot of people in either this country or in the world. According to a Gallup poll, that's a good description about how Americans feel about God. About 94% of the people in this country believe in God, but when it comes to translating that belief into some sort of action, most of us clearly are not nuts about it or not nuts about what that might mean to our lives. We have something in common with the Pharisees. Because Jesus summed up the problem with the Pharisees this way, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people honor me with their lips. They keep talking about me, but their hearts are far from me. Because you see, for for the Pharisees, religion was primarily external. It was a badge of accomplishment, not a gift. Of grace. It was a means of dividing society into layers, not into love. It was a means sometimes of putting people down, dividing people. Instead of motivating and loving them and lifting them up, it was about what he doesn't have and what I do have. God was on their lips, but he was certainly not in their hearts. Are there people today with that kind of faith? Of course there are, of course there are. They have a tradition or a law or a ceremony for every situation, and as long as they can uphold their traditions or their laws or their ceremonies, they feel secure and virtuous and religious. For the Pharisees, tradition had become more important than true worship of God, keeping the laws, keeping the regulations, checking off the boxes. There was the letter without spirit. There was religiousness without godliness. And the verse right before today's 14th verse, Jesus addresses the issue by saying, you have voided the word of God by the tradition you have handed down. You have voided the word of God by the tradition that you have handed down. And then he goes on with this passage that I read. Hear me all of you and understand there is nothing outside a man or a woman for that matter which by going into him or her can defile him but the things which come out of a man or a woman that's what defiles them. Jesus is symbolically using the human body making it a story that all of us can understand and all of us can hear. What goes into the stomach Passes right through the body. We use some of it, and the rest of it we expel. But what goes into our hearts, it takes root. It gets cultivated there. It blooms. It blossoms. It develops. And it becomes the expressions of who we are as people. Our hearts are what define us. And what comes out of our hearts is how other people will know us, including God. So the heart of the question, no pun intended, is what is the essence of being a Christian? I've got a friend who doesn't like the word Christian. It's used far too much for far too many people. People use it as a moniker for C on their forehead. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. He'd much rather use the term Christ-like. How Christ-like are you? Christ-like in your words, Christ-like in your deeds, Christ-like in the way you treat other people. Christian is too easy to use, and it's used far too much in our society to identify far too many people that cling to traditions and customs and laws and regulations. They speak of God on their lips, but they do not have God in their hearts. And you can tell that by their actions and by their words. If you have read this seventh chapter of Mark, you know that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and about their traditions. He's calling them hypocrites. And I think perhaps as we begin this short lesson, it takes, it's to our advantage to think about hypocrisy, what it means. Because if, if to anyone religion is a legal thing, if it means carrying out certain external regulations or rules, if you are connected to religion only by ceremony, then you certainly have the possibility of becoming a hypocrite because you can do all the stuff on the outside, but if you don't have it inside you, it doesn't really exist. You can fool all the people out there. You're never going to fool God. And in fact, when you look in the mirror in the morning, you're not going to fool yourself either. Talked a couple weeks ago when I talked about the Sabbath, all the rules and the regulations the Pharisees had, and was it? Was it right for the, for the disciples to pluck off grains, heads of wheat, to satiate their hunger? And the Pharisees, no, 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 you're not just supposed to work on Sunday. You can starve to death, but don't work. And that moves on. It applies to us today. How about our Muslim brothers, where every day, a number of times a day, They have to take out their prayer mat and face Mecca and pray constantly, continually. It's part of their tradition. It's part of who they are. How about some of us who were raised in the Catholic religion going to confession? I love it how confession starts out. We always go into that little box and tell the priest how long it's been since we were there last time. It's been 300 years. And then we go down through a whole list of sins that we have committed so that we might be absolved. And you know as well as I do that Jesus is the only one that absolves us from our sins, but if it makes you feel good, we go through that whole list, then we exit that box probably to do what? Sin again and come back next week, next month, next year. How about Methodist? How about Methodist? Just a couple minutes ago, you said the Lord's Prayer. And I know some of you sometimes ask, why didn't we do the Lord's Prayer today? Some of you are sitting out there going, why didn't we do the Apostles' Creed today? We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it when I make sure that every word and phrase that comes out of you, you understand and you're ready to apply to your life and you're not just saying it rotely, traditionally, so you can check off a mark. I said the Lord's Prayer. I said the Apostles' Creed. I'm religious. Let's go doesn't work that way, folks. It never has, and it never will. We have our own traditions. And there's room for all of that. In worship service, it certainly is important, but you just simply can't be of traditions and laws and rules and regulations. Jesus has already taught us that. A number of years ago, Harry Emerson Fosdick was told about a church in Norway and when the people came into the sanctuary, they came in and they turned to the right. There was a big white wall there. And they bowed and they went and sat in the pews. Nobody knew why in the world they did that. They'd been doing it for decades. Decades. And finally, one day when they were renovating the church, they took off a lot of the whitewash that was on the walls. And lo and behold, under that wall was the Madonna with the child. So people had gotten very used coming into the sanctuary and turning to the right and bowing to the Madonna and then sitting down. I'm told about another church out in the Midwest where everybody, when they said the Lord's Prayer, they got up, they stood up, and turned and faced the back wall, said the Lord's Prayer. You can probably figure out why. About 100 years before they had done the renovation, the Lord's Prayer had been written on the back wall. Everybody was used to standing up, turning around, saying the Lord's Prayer. You talk about tradition. Don't even know why we're doing it, but we're doing it. It's not church unless we turn and face the back wall and say the Lord's Prayer. Sounds a little ridiculous, doesn't it? But it happens. It happens. We've become so accustomed to some of these traditions. And tradition is a powerful thing. It can be a useful thing. But the Pharisees had substituted tradition and custom for the very presence and love of God. Traditionalism... Rears its head in a lot of ugly ways sometimes. And there is no greater peril in our religious life than to be captured by simply religious acts. Church going, Bible reading, financial giving, prayer. You can do all of those things and think you're a good Christian. But if you only have Jesus on your lips and not in your heart, you have failed miserable. And so the real question I need to ask you today is how is your heart toward God? How is your heart toward God? That's a question every last one of you should be asking yourselves right now and trying to answer in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And after you've answered that, how is your heart toward your fellow man, your neighbor, your friend? And I'm not telling you about the one that looks like you or talks like you or smells like you. I'm talking about all your fellow men and women in this world, your neighbors. How's your heart? Because a heart filled with enmity or bitterness or prejudice or pride is not going to be changed by some outward religious function, not going to be changed by the Lord's Prayer, not going to be changed by the Apostles' Creed, not going to be changed by the doxology. It's not going to be changed from anything on the outside only going to be changed on the inside you may have God on your lips but your heart betrays who you are and what you do so what is it that defiles a person what is it that really makes a person ugly and that's basically what's going into your heart what's taking root there what's cultivating heaven knows in the world in which we live we can get all sorts of stuff in our hearts We can get all the ugliness and crud that you can possibly imagine. All you do is got to watch TV for more than 60 minutes. You can have enough crud to make a whole garden in your heart. All you got to do is listen to the news. All you got to do is read the internet. Read the internet. Look at the internet. Read the newspaper. That's why this book is so important. That's why this book is something you just can't simply discount. That's why this book is not used as a coffee table moniker or something to hold the door open. This book is the truth and the wisdom of God. You used it? You applying it? You doing anything or do you like the internet and Fox News or CNN better? Because I got news. Everybody on those shows could use this book just a little bit more too, but that's my judgment. As a pastor, I'm not supposed to judge. But you should be using this book. You should be using the word of God. In the midst of everything else we can put in our hearts, better start with this book first. Let this take root. Let this blossom forth. Jesus came up with a whole list of things that defiles a person by his or her actions. Making the heart unclean from the inside out. And what does he get? Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, envy, pride. We all suffer from certain things there, yes, of course. But you certainly don't want to cultivate it. You don't want to see how big you can make the plant grow in your heart. Let's talk about just a couple of those, just real quick. We're not going to talk about all of them. How about we talk about coveting, wanting more, wanting what somebody else has. We live in a very materialistic society. You don't have to watch TV very long to know that there's a car out there just for you that's faster, cleaner, and slicker than your neighbor's car next door. And you can make you really look good. And you need that car. Everything is bigger, newer, better improved. i got to have that. I have shared with you how materialism affects my life. I haven't been very proud of that, but I've been honest with you. You know, I know that I can only take 14 clubs to the golf course. If I took all my golf clubs that I have to the golf course, I'd have to have a U-Haul behind the golf cart, and some little guy there to hand me out, you know, the next golf club. And I'd have to probably play golf from now to the end of time to use them all. I was counting yesterday, I was hanging up something. I've got seven hammers. I only got two hands, but I got seven hammers. Now, I know why I have seven hammers. It's not a good excuse. Do you really need all that stuff? No. No. I only really need one good hammer. I just need to be able to find it when I need it. Instead of saying, you know, you always need something at Lowe's, let's go to Lowe's, I'll buy another hammer. It's always about wanting more. We want so much more in this world that then we start to covet. we got to have a bigger house than the Joneses. we got to have a better looking car than the Smiths. Because that's going to do what? I don't know. And then the schmuckatellis are gonna move across next door, and you're really gonna be out to lunch. Let's talk about pride real quick. Paul talks about pride, that's another thing Jesus talks about. And I know we're all prideful, but when that pride replaces Jesus Christ in your heart, you got a problem. When you think it's all about you, you got a problem. To be quite frank with you, I think that's why it's so difficult with people who have so much power and so much fame and so much money to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying they can't, but so often they're so focused in on their power and their fame and their money that they think they did it all by themselves. Look what I've done. Who needs God? Oh, yeah, I like God. I'll express him on my lips. But in my heart, there's a void. Because that void is filled with my own self-centered pride. I did it myself. I made all the money. I was successful. I'm famous. Pride. We lust for things, and then we're prideful about what we can and cannot do. And all of these defilements, whatever they are, covet, pride, judgment, prejudice, If you start putting them in rules and regulations and possessions of people, you lose what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus kept saying there is nothing more important than a person and a person's relationship with God, first and foremost. And the essence of being a Christian, the essence of being Christ-like, the essence that we should all want to achieve should be translating the love of God into the love of other people. To translate our worship into service of others. And to turn our religion as a way to relate to God and to others on a daily basis. So how's your heart? Are you Christ-like today? Or are you worried about whatever plant is growing in your heart? Whatever evil and ugliness has taken root there? Let me leave you with a quick story today. A quick story that I hope that you'll take to heart. Happened some 60 years ago. Young man's name was Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott. And for most of his life, all he wanted to be was a missionary. He had grown up in Portland, Oregon. He talked to missionaries there. He talked about the gospel. He talked about spreading the word of Jesus Christ wherever he went. So he was about 29, he got together with four other guys and decided, we need to do this. But we're going to do it overseas, we're going to do it in Ecuador. We're going to do it to some of those tribes, those Indian tribes down there that have never seen a white man, don't know anything about Jesus Christ. So they got together and for almost three years, they studied Spanish, they tried to learn some of the Indian dialects, and they actually ministered to a tribe down in Ecuador. And then the day came when they made a fateful decision, and they thought about it for a long, long time, but they wanted to go to the Alcoos, the Alcuz Indians, very isolated, very dangerous set of Indians, but they felt they needed to tell them about the love that's Jesus Christ. And one of them had a plane, and he decided he'd start flying over there. Nate Saint was his name. He'd fly over the village, and Drop little gifts down there. They even had a little portable amplifier and they had some phrases that they could tell the Yakuza Indians about, you know, we come in peace and we love you, we'd like to meet you. And one day they were, they were flying down a river and they came to this beautiful beach. And he thought, now I can put the plane down there and we can get out and hopefully the Indians will come to us. And sure enough, one by one they came in on that beach. And two women and one man came to meet them from the Okouz tribe. They had dinner that day. They exchanged some gifts. Matter of fact, he took the man up for a plane ride. Can you imagine that? A Nuku's Indian, never seen a white man, and now he's flying around. They were trying to befriend him. They were trying to find out what makes him tick. They were trying to show and share the love of Jesus. And this went on for three days, and he kept asking, well, where's the rest of the tribe? Where's the rest of the village? And finally, on the third day, Two women and two men appeared on the other shore across the river. And Jim and Nate and some of the other missionaries started to move out into the river to try to cross them in Greece, and greet them. They were so happy that the people had finally come to them. And they got about halfway out and the Ukuz warriors came out of the bush, spears held. It's possible that Jim Elliott might have reached for his gun, but chances are that never really crossed his mind. And within a split second those warriors threw their spears and killed all five missionaries there in the river. Pilot the next day, flew over the same area and found the plane, saw a couple of the bodies. And a search and rescue team went down there to claim the bodies, bring them back to the United States and bury them. But that's not where the story ends. Two years later, Elizabeth... Jim Elliott's wife, Valerie, Jim Elliott's daughter, and Rachel, Nate Saint's sister, went to the Akuz village as missionaries. Nate Saint's great-grandson still lives with the Akuz Indians in Ecuador, and they have become very much a Christian tribe. Now, I know you're probably saying, oh, Jesus alive, he wants me to give up my nice house, my nice car, and my job, go overseas to a far and distant place, minister to Indians, and get killed on a riverbed. No. I'm not asking that. I'm simply asking what's in your heart. What do you have inside you? What is God calling you to do? Because that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Not what goes into you, but what comes out of you. Your heart defines you as a human being and as a Christian. And what comes out of you is infinitely more important than what goes into you. That's how other people know you. That's how other people define you. So as I leave you today, I ask, how is your heart? Does your heart truly reflect the heart of Jesus Christ? Because I'm sure that Jesus wants to transform each and every one of us this day from the inside out. That wherever the hollow, void places are in our lives, he wants to fill him with his presence, his power, and his grace. He wants to give us all new hearts. New hearts of faith, new hearts of hope, new hearts of love. But then he wants you to use those hearts for the glory of his kingdom. That you might not just have Jesus on your lips, but that you might also have him always in your heart. Would you bow your heads with me, please?